Good morning. Good morning. Hey, I want to apologize to any of you who got here on time today at 10.30. It's my fault that we didn't announce it last week. So I'm sorry about that. We do this every year. We start an hour later this one day and this one morning only. This evening we were at 6.30. Uh, but uh, we do it because, well, among other reasons, folks get here really early to set up, and also we know that you want, don't want to lose that hour of sleep, and neither do I, so that's why we do that every year. We are in the book of Luke. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you don't have a Bible, take a Bible and keep it. It's a gift to you. We want everyone to have a Bible. The book of Luke, we're going through the book of Luke chapter by chapter, verse by verse. That's how we believe the best way is to teach the Bible here at Calvary Chapel, and we are in verse 31. Verse 31 of the book, uh, of chapter 13 of Luke. (laughs) Got it. On that very day, some Pharisees came saying to him, meaning Jesus, Get out and depart from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, go tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I shall be perfected. Nevertheless, I must journey today, tomorrow, and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish outside of Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. But you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, and assuredly I say to you, you shall not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, just for that word that Jose shared right now, Lord, that you take us and you clean us up and you use us, Lord, and we discover a whole new world in Christ. And Lord, I know there's a piece of that world, that life that you want to Teach us afresh this morning. Please open up our eyes and ears and souls to it. Lord, I pray just for me, I pray that I wouldn't be a hindrance or a distraction to what you want to do here this morning. I know that you want to speak to every man and woman in here, Lord. We ask that you do that with power, Lord, this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. (laughs) 
Okay, so Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. In verse 22 of this chapter, it says he's just moving through the cities and, and villages just methodically with a plan. He's headed towards Jerusalem. He knows his time is short, so he doesn't mince words. He doesn't soften the message, not even one bit. We saw that last week in verse 24, where he says, Strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and not be able. Now, he's been telling them, what the, about the narrow gate and how to enter. It's just through faith and believing in him. But he doesn't mince words. He doesn't soften his words a little bit. And so someone comes to him and uh, in verse 31, and they said, Herod is looking for you. He wants to kill you. Verse 31, again, on that very day, some Pharisees came saying to him, get out and depart from here for Herod wants to kill you. And what does he say? He doesn't mince words. He says, go tell that fox, he says. Now, Herod was... It's the one that we know as King Herod. He's not actually king. He's the governor under Rome, under the Roman emperor. And Jesus said, you go tell that fox. Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today. And tomorrow and the third day, I shall be perfected. Or my work will be complete. He's talking there about the cross and what is going to happen at the cross. Now, you know, I have read that this verse for many, many years, and it always confuses me a little. Jesus calling someone a fox, and you know, you read Bible commentators on this, and they run around in circles. Uh, there's even a few out there that says he really wasn't talking about Herod. And it is confusing because it's the only place in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, where you see anything like that. He's calling someone a fox. Like, well, what's up with this? This isn't, this isn't my Jesus, we may say. We've got to make sure our Jesus is the Jesus of the Bible. So what, what's going on? The Bible does say Jesus is meek and lowly of heart. Jesus only describes himself with uh, an adjective, one time in the whole Bible, one time, one single time, he describes himself. And how does he describe himself? Huh? Meek, that's right. Meek and lowly of heart, Matthew chapter 11. It's the only time he says, I'm meek and lowly of heart. He is. He is. He, that is who he is. The Bible says, in, in the, his most famous message ever, he said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the peacemakers. So why is he calling Herod, the, a governor under Rome, a fox? Because the Bible does say that the rule for us as followers of Christ, the rule for us if you're taking notes, write this down. So important for Christians. 
Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 says, let whatever proceeds out of your mouth be what is good for necessary edification, meaning it better build someone up or don't say it. Then it continues that it may impart grace to the hearer. Man, I just listen to Christians so often think they have a license with their mouth. You better not use this one verse in Luke chapter 13 to justify bad-mouthing whoever because it's one verse and it has a specific context and meaning. And by the way, it was Jesus speaking. And you're not Jesus. The Bible says of Jesus in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, it says, he made the world. Verse 3 says, he upholds all things by the word of his power. Herod, on the other hand, was an exceeding, exceedingly evil and corrupt dude. Now, this is the same Herod who had recently killed John the Baptist. John the Baptist, of whom Jesus said, Of those born of a woman, there was no one greater. That's really heavy. Of those born of a woman, there was no one greater than John the Baptist, uh, the greatest prophet uh, that ever lived, the, the greatest man, the greatest human being who came into the world through a natural birth is what Jesus uh, was saying. And, and, and otherwise, no, you, there's no one greater than John the Baptist. Herod killed him it, after making an incredibly foolish oath. His wife's daughter, actually it wasn't his wife, it was his brother's wife who he stole and took for his own. But his wife's daughter actually uh, he 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 brought her to dance before him he was so impressed of course he was drunk but he was so drunkenly impressed that he said man or woman whatever you want i will give to you ask for anything i'll give it to you she went and consulted with her mother who wasn't particularly happy with john the baptist because he had confronted them for their lifestyle. And she says, you ask him for John the Baptist's head. And so she returned to him, what do you want? I want John the Baptist's head. Oh, really? Oh, no. Because by that time, he actually feared John the Baptist. But he made good on his oath. Why? Because it says that all his friends were there and they were expecting him uh, to do it. So here in Luke 13, the same Herod sends word, at least word gets out, that he's trying to kill Jesus. And Jesus here, listen, instead of confusing us, actually, this is a great word of encouragement. He says, you go tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. The third day I shall be perfected or I will complete that which concerns me. So what he's saying is this, important that we understand this because this is, can look like an odd verse. He, he says, I will continue doing what I have come to this earth to do. I'm going to continue that which ultimately is going to bring me to the cross. That's what he means. On the third day, my work will be completed, perfected. And I'm going to continue what I have come on earth to do and no power on earth or in hell or anywhere else is going to be able to stop me. That's what he's saying. 
certainly Herod's not going to stop me. He is and behaves like a fox. He's, he's, he's convening in his hole, meaning in his palace, and, and makes plans to come against me, but it will come to nothing. A fox can't kill a human being. Herod can't kill me. I love this verse in Hebrews. I love the book of Hebrews, but this is one of the great verses of Hebrews. Jesus worked not on the basis of a law of physical requirement, but according to the power of an indestructible life. His life was indestructible. So far um, from confusing us, this verse should be a wonderful encouragement to us. Why? Because as you align your life, as you put your life and align it and set your, the compass of your life alongside of Jesus' life as you discover God's will for your life, which that's, by the way, why we come to church every Sunday and every Bible study, is to, to discover his will for our life. That's why we pray. He promises to reveal his will for our life. As you d- discover his will for your life, follow in his footsteps, and actually, you know, Jesus uses the word follow, and, and that's what we do, but actually, the Bible says he is right alongside of us. Psalm seventy-three thirteen says he holds us with his right hand. It's not the other way around, because if we're holding him, we have a feeble hold sometimes, don't we? We're so weak. We have a, a feeble hold on God. Thank God it says that his right hand holds us. And what happens when we do that? When we align our life, we line up our life and just follow him and are obedient obedient to him, have our eyes fixed on him, our life becomes an indestructible life. That's what happens. Our life. And the Bible says, no power on earth, in hell, or anyone else, or anywhere else, or anything else can stop us. We talked last week about sort of the whole striving to enter through the narrow gate and the importance of obedience to God and staying in his, staying on that. The Bible, Jesus actually says it's a narrow path. We get off that narrow path, the Bible says we're going to be knocked out by the enemy. Psalm 25 says, keep me on that straight path because of my enemies. However, if we just stay on the path with him, and that doesn't mean we don't stumble. That doesn't mean we don't sin. We will every day. We just, the Bible says, though, follow after Jesus. Though they may fall seven times, you, they get right back up again. If you just follow after him, you have taken on an indestructible, your life is an indestructible life. That's what the Bible says. It says that if you're obedient to the call of God on your life, it says, no weapon formed against you will prosper. This is an oft-quoted verse, as it should be, for those who are just 
living in simple obedience and faith to the Lord. No weapon formed against you. This is God talking to you. If the if Jesus is on the throne of your life, no weapon formed against you will prosper. Here's a verse I have over my bedroom door. I love it. I work, this is God now speaking again, and who will reverse it? Is that like clarity for you? Is that like the most awesome verse, so short, so pithy, so filled with clarity? I work and who will reverse it? No one's gonna reverse it. Psalm 33 says this, he spoke and it was done. It's done. Once it, the Bible says that he has a plan for your life. He speaks a word for your life. And in a sense, it's already done in the mind and will of the Lord. It even says you can have all the nations of the earth come against you and they can't so much as cause you to miss a single step in your walk with God. Psalm 33 continues in verse 10, the the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. It continues, it says, he makes the plans of the people of no effect. So my question for you this morning, and I ask it to my own heart as well, what does it take you to knock you off that path? Just what does it take for you to be knocked off the path? Where it says the Lord is holding your right hand. What does it take? to knock you off the path that the Lord has put you on by his great mercy and grace. What does it take? A little pressure from your boss? What does it take for you to change course off of God's course, onto some other course, off of God's way, into some other way? What does it take for you to become displaced from God's perfect will for your life. What is it? A little pressure from your coworkers? A lot of pressure from your friends, the world, your family, a little temptation? Or is it a lot of temptation? It doesn't really matter. Both will knock you, can knock a man, a woman off. An unexpected trial, some kind of life affliction, an unexpected turn in your life, a direction that has come upon you in your life that was neither expected or wanted or desired at all. You're miserable with the change of direction. Is that what it takes? Jesus says, go tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, meaning I'm going to continue exactly what I've been called to do. And the third day, I shall be perfected. I'm going to complete what the Lord 
has started in my life. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible, Psalm 138, verse 8. God will complete that which concerns me. 138, verse 8. God will complete that which concerns me. So the Roman governor, who we know is King Herod, an exceedingly evil and cruel, corrupt man, was after Jesus to kill him. Now, this is not an idle threat. Consider who this guy's dad was. Consider the uh, inheritance or heritage that this man had. His father was also a King Herod, was the very same man who at the time of Jesus' birth ordered all the boys under two in Bethlehem murdered. Because why? He was going after Jesus. And he did it. Only Jesus had left. Exceedingly cruel. No regard for life. He, he wanted to kill Jesus just like his father did. Just like his father did. Jesus does not so much as flinch. <laughs> Doesn't so much as flinch. Why? He knows the Father's will for his life. Luke chapter 9 says, At this time he, Jesus, his face was steadfastly set toward Jerusalem. His life was filled with God's purpose. Nothing was going to stop him. And likewise, nothing should stop you. Nothing should stop you from just simply walking by faith. Jesus says, my burden is easy. My burden is, uh, rather, my, my yoke is easy. My burden is life. T- light, take it upon you. It's so much easier to walk with the Lord than to walk in the world. There is no rest or peace for the world, the wicked, the Bible says. And, and yet we're deceived into do, uh, doing likewise. Nothing should dis- dis- stop you from being knocked off the Lord's path. The pressure from your boss, your coworkers, friends, the world, the family, temptations, trial, bad news, unexpected tribulation, bad stuff, nothing. Even if a King Herod is trying to hunt you down and kill you. Not so much as a single hair on your head can be singed or, for you women, split. (laughs) Apart from the express permission and allowance of God. It has been said, and this is not in the Bible, it's a guy, Joseph Parker, lived in the 1800s. Every man, that includes every man, woman, and child in this room, is immortal until his work is done. You're immortal. In other words, you're not going to die. You're not going to be stopped until your work is done, the work that God has for you. I love Psalm 91.7. It puts it uh, actually much more explicitly than man ever could. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Why? Because Jesus Christ is with you. He promised never to leave you or forsake you. 
I put this verse up as well about every few months, 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? That same man, God-man, who with his, set his face resolutely towards Jerusalem and no one was going to stop him, he is inside of you, living through you. And he's still accomplishing his purposes through you. The only difference is he's in you. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says. And so for that reason, no weapon formed against you will prosper. When he works through you, no man can reverse it. And, and, and in Christ, the Bible says in, in the book of Romans chapter 8, it says, in all these things, and Paul there, the apostle Paul is referring to just all the mad, crazy, wild things that are happening and just coming upon him in his life. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Speaking of love, let's continue. Verse 33 says, nevertheless, we're back in Luke. Nevertheless, so he says, Herod's not going to touch me and let no one here think otherwise. Nevertheless, verse 33, I, may, I must journey to de- today and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish outside of Jerusalem. Probably a proverb at his time. And then he begins to reflect on Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem... The Bible refers to Jerusalem as the apple of God's eye. It was the place appointed for every Jewish male to come every single year, three times to, to, for a feast to, to celebrate the Lord. It is where the messianic line, the kingdom was established by God that would, would eventually lead to, to, to Jesus was established. It was the same place that Abraham in Genesis chapter 22 offered his son as a, uh, as, which was sort of a, a foreshadowing of Jesus, of Jesus Christ to come. And, and, and you know, he's going up the mountain and, and God says, sacrifice your son. And his son's like, where's the sacrifice? He goes, the Lord will provide. The Lord did provide. It happened right there in Jerusalem. For 2,000 years, it was to be the place where God dwelled with the people above the Ark of the Covenant, above the mercy seat, above the, in that place of mercy, Jerusalem. God's heart for Jerusalem. And Jesus is, he's, he's, he says, he's, he's on his way there and he says, verse 34, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. So many prophets had been sent to Jerusalem telling them, look, God has a wonderful plan for your life. Turn around, turn to him. They stoned them. They killed them, the prophets that God himself sent to them. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and, and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted 
to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood, her chicks, as a, as a hen gathers her chicks underneath the wings, as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. The King James just says, but you would not. And then he says in verse 35, see, your house is left to you desolate and assuredly I say to you, you shall not see me, uh, me until the time comes when you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So Jesus, in the presence of the, all these people who are around him, what he is saying here, he, he's saying to Jerusalem, but of course he's speaking to people. He's speaking to the nation of Israel. He's speaking to men, women, and children. And, and he's, say, he's saying this. I want to gather you. I want to gather you around me. I want to take your rebellious, messed up life and make it something beautiful. I want to do that. I want my life to be your life. I am giving my life as a ransom for you, as a payment for you, the highest price anyone could ever give. I'm giving it for you. I have an answer for your sin. I have an answer for the ugly, messed up place that you are in. I have a solution for your difficulty. I have, I have balm for your healing for your heartache, a solution for your pain, your rebellion, your frustration, your burden, your guilt, your shame. I've come to comfort you and give you an abundant life. But you would not. You are not willing. And you just see the love. Now turn with me to Luke chapter 19. Six chapters to the right. Luke chapter 19, verse 41. This is, now, at the time in Luke 13, he's still up in Galilee. That's northern Israel. Here's a picture in verse 41 of when he actually sees Jerusalem. Verse 41, now, as he drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it. He wept. Recently, I spoke at a funeral, and there was a, a man next to me, and he was weeping, and he basically more or less had lost physical control over himself. And I was sharing with the people, this is God's heart when someone dies. Look at what happened in John chapter 11 and Lazarus. This is it, another picture right here. He's weeping over it. It's not just some sentimental thing. Oh, wow, you know, this is a cool place. I've come here a couple times to vacation. No, that's not what's going on. He is weeping over the mess and the rebellion. And he's, he, remember, Jesus sees for all eternity. He knows the broad road that the people are taking and the destruction. That's not temporal. That's not temporary. It's 
eternal. And, and he's weeping over it. Verse 42 says, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, meaning the day of their visitation from God himself, the things that make for your peace. I just want to repeat that. Verse 42, if you had known, even you, especially in this day, the things that make for your peace, what would have given you peace? But now they are hidden from your eyes. They're sticking their heads in the sand. Which 2,000 years later in 2013, men and women throughout the world continue to do. If you, had only, if you knew what would give you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes because you're sticking your heads in the sand. Verse 43, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an, an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side and level you, meaning flatten you, the whole city, and your children within you to the ground and they will not leave in you one stone upon the other because you did not know the time of your visitation. Visitation from who? From God himself. So 40 years after this, this was fulfilled. Actually, after this was written, probably 15 to 20 years after this was written, but also about 40 years after Jesus actually said this, the Roman general Titus came with an enormous Roman army and flattened Jerusalem, destroyed it. 1.1 million Jews died, according to Josephus. Another 100,000 sold into slavery. It was so bad that the pagan heathen general Titus was reported to have declared, oh God, don't hold this against me. This is not my fault. Because what had happened, there was a Roman siege around the city and famine set in in the city and the destruction was so intense. This is a prophetic statement here. This is one of the many reasons we believe the Bible because before the time it happened, it was already written and spoken. So uh, he, he... but if we could go back to Luke 13, the, the, the love, I, I want to make one thing really, really clear here, that when Jesus says, how often in verse 32, I, I wanted to gather your children together, and that's what the Lord wants us to do with us, gather us as a family, as a church, gather us, and do what? Hide us under the shadow of his wing. So let let me make one thing absolutely clear. When Jesus is speaking here, he's putting himself in the shoes of God. He's telling everyone he's God. How do I know that? Every single person listening to him right here would have been knowing full well that either this man is a crazy, fanatic, lunatic, a poached egg, or he thinks he's God. Why? Because he said this, I wanted to gather you under the, under the shelter of my wings. I wanted, like, like a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Every Jew know only God says that because the Old Testament is filled with references to God himself saying, 
I want to gather you under my wings. So in Psalm 17, for example, uh, it says this. Psalm 17, verse 8. Do we have that? Yes? No? Keep me, this is David speaking, as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of your wings. Next verse. Psalm 36. How precious is your loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. The next verse. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for my soul trusts in you, and in the shadow of your wings I will take my refuge until these calamities have passed by. Psalm 61. I will abide or live in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. Selah, meaning pause. I'm going to just think about how wonderful it is living under the shadow of your, of your wings. And then Psalm 63, and we'll end here, although there are other verses. Because you have been my help, therefore in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice so when Jesus, listen, when Jesus is, is saying in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, I knock at the door of your heart. Anyone who opens the door, I will come in. It's God speaking. When you reject Jesus, who says that I want to be your Lord, I want to come in and I want to occupy every little corner of your heart. When you reject that, and he says I want all, not just 90% of you, not just 60% of you, not 10% of you, all of you, when you reject that, you're rejecting God. You're rejecting God. And, and, and what happened with, with, with so many in the Jewish nation, they had rejected him. He's, he's winds up eventually weeping over it. In verse 35, he says, see your house is left to you desolate. And this is what happens. This is not rocket science. This is what happens when you reject the living God. Your house, your life is going to be desolate. Remember, this is talking about the future now. That means it, it, it said Jerusalem or, or their life, the place that they were living, would, they would lose their home. They would lose their place of safety. They would lose their place of rest. And they're they would lose, uh, they would no longer be in a place of control over their life. It would be left desolate. And such happens to every man and woman or child who rejects God and his son, Jesus Christ. Again, God sent his son into the world. his only begotten son into the world so that the world would not perish, but that whoever believes in him would have eternal life. And as we talked about last week, there's not many roads to heaven. That's what the world teaches and believes. When we approach God and and we approach the son of God, we say, no, I think I'll take another road than you, Jesus. He says, I'm the way, I'm the only way, the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. If a man or woman says, no, I'll take another way, Jesus says, God says, your, your, your life, your eternity is going to be left desolate. 
He's not mincing words, is he? As he has a short time to live, and he wants to make sure that people get the truth. He wants to make sure of that. And the wonderful message here is that where we started with today, that in Christ, in Christ, no weapon formed against us will prosper. No situation, no person, no affliction, no trial, no success. Often it's success what ruins a man or woman. They can take trials in life, but man, you give them success and they completely blow it. Nothing, no weapon formed against you will prosper. If your life is in Christ, if you are in Christ, in in Christ. And I'm going to call the worship team up. And if you've been asked to pray up here, you can come up as well. I'm going to close the service now. Hey, if anything I have said has stirred something around, you know, in your heart, come up and pray. There's going to be people here in the corners. Come up and uh, pray with them uh, as the as the worship team begins to uh, begins to play. Look, if you've never opened up the door of your heart and allowed Jesus to come in and take over every little corner of your heart, it's a simple prayer of faith. That's the most amazing thing. It's a simple prayer of faith. We simply ask, and He comes in. The Bible says that. We can't earn God's favor. We can't convince him to come into our heart and to our life uh, by being good because the Bible says that no man is good before God. The Bible says if, if, if God were to count our sins, who would be able to live? No one. I believe Matt started us off with prayer today with that. No one would be. But in Christ, he came to show us the way into the narrow gate, and it's a, it's a very simple prayer of faith. Please, or if there's anything else uh, that's on your heart, any burden that you have, please come up. You can now rise, and, and we can close with a worship song, and I'll, before that, I'll just, I'll just close in prayer. Father, we just thank you for this amazing promise that we have, Lord, in you, that in you, Lord, as you work in our life, and as we move forward, who can, who can reverse it? You say, I work, and who will reverse it? Lord, you say, you spoke, and it was done. You say, you bring the counsels of the nations to nothing, Lord. And, and, and you also say in your word, do you not know that Jesus Christ lives within you? Father, we... We struggle with that. Sometimes we feel so dirty, ashamed. Sometimes our faith feels so weak and feeble. Just pray that you fill every man and woman here this morning with the Holy Spirit, Lord. I pray that if there are any who cannot say with full assurance, yes, Jesus Christ lives within me, that they would settle that business with you today, Lord. But Father, we love you, we need you. And Lord, we, we're so thankful that your word says that it's not us holding your hand. It's not us clinging to you. Lord, we say things like that. Oh, we've got to cling to Jesus. No, it's your right hand holding us. We thank you for that. We thank you for that, that security, Lord, because we're weak, we need that. Lord, we thank you also for this psalm that we just read about, our, about life in Christ, Lord, which says that uh, 
we can rejoice in the shadow of your wings, Lord. Because you have been our help, therefore, in the shadow of your wings, we will rejoice. And Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.